I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass, Welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here in studio in Cork and I'm joined as always by Murray Kinsella of the 42 over in Waterford. How are you, Murray? I'm great, Gav. I've just been watching the the NRL. It's back today for the first time in a couple of months. It was kind of strange seeing a couple of rugby tries, albeit rugby league, um, and they have no fans obviously in the stadiums, but they are pumping in like a virtual crowd noise and to be fair, it's it's actually really adding to the TV product anyway. Commentators are doing a really good job of... of expressing their excitement although i think they are just buzzing like i was to be watching a bit of rugby and um, the players looked in pretty good nick really fast start to it obviously and the collisions were really audible over the the mic so um it was just exciting to see and uh get a feel for a bit of rugby again um there was some lovely bits of kicking even lovely little grubber kicks massive tackles couple of offloads here and there so um i've really enjoyed seeing that and i'll definitely be tuning into the nrl from from here on in i think um the the crowd noise one is really interesting as well i think a lot of people will be watching that and thinking that might be a way to to do it without fans in the stadium and then as well as that everyone's gonna be watching just to see how how things go with with the post COVID 19 as well so loads of interest in that yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out uh rugby union be adopting some new rules some of which may make it look like uh rugby league a little bit more than it does at the moment we'll touch upon those in a few minutes bernard jackman is here as well how are you bernard were you watching the league i was keeping an eye on it yeah I've, i signed up at um nrl.com uh previously actually because they kept going a little bit later than a lot of other sports and uh you know i, I was just getting a my live sport fix with them and then they had to pull the plug as well but um, I'm delighted it's back and there's a, a big double header I think on Saturday but uh, yeah I actually thought crowd previous games behind closed doors there was no crowd noise and I thought they got the balance right um, uh, this morning with the with the Broncos against the Eels because you could still hear the the impacts you could hear the players talk but yet when there was um, you know a, a bit of momentum um, you, you nearly felt like there was a live crowd there and it definitely was a um, it worked well. I won't keep everyone happy, but for me, it just made it more more realistic, really, and and made me believe that there was it was a, a rugby as we knew it or, or sport as we knew it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably a difficult thing for like the producers to get right as well. Like you know, I, I wonder how they even work that. Like how they build a sort of a sense of anticipation in a fake crowd. Like I guess it's just some sort of a, a meter that you're sort of moving from left to right and, and adjusting volume and things like that, is it? I, I don't know. Do you have any insight into that, Murray? Yeah, you're imagining a fella in a, in a booth trying to uh, react to the game. Um, and they definitely got a couple of them wrong. Like, even during the goal kicks and stuff, everyone was going crazy. And the home the home crowd wasn't particularly supportive of... Um, or were actually supporting the away team. So the balance probably wasn't right, and you'll have people nitpicking at it as well, but... To be honest, for for me, definitely, and it's completely subjective, tuning in, it, it added to the excitement, but that was there, really, just in terms of watching people play. Um, so, yeah, that'll be an interesting challenge for all the, the TV side of it as well. The commentators um, are going to be more important than ever in, in, in getting that vibe and that tone across as well. So, challenges on and off the pitch, definitely. Uh, yeah, look, beggars can't be choosers either. We'll take what we can get for now. 
so loads of new rules to talk about, as I mentioned, and we'll get into the Interpros as well, those prospective fixtures in August in the latter half of the show. But these new rules, these COVID-19 rules, which are entirely optional and probably won't really take hold in the professional game so much, but might take hold at a, a more community level, um, have only really been released in the last hour or so as we record here. And Murray, I'm going to ask you to sort of give us a, a general overview of them, maybe starting with my favourite one of them, which is the orange card, because I, I could see this one in particular actually having some merit um, at other levels of the game, not necessarily just uh, at community or grassroots level. Yeah, there is a there are a couple of interesting ones here, which you can imagine potentially being adopted moving forward. You're definitely right to stress, and let's do it again. This is temporary and it's completely optional. It's up to the unions to decide if they want to use any of these laws. They are, in the massive large part, targeted at the community game rather than the elite level. So I'd be, honestly, I'd be very surprised if we see any of them in the pro game. New Zealand Rugby have already come out and said they're not going to be adopting any of them for the return of their Super Rugby next month. So it is targeted down at that lower level. However, this orange card one is one that can only apply to the elite level of the game because it's necessary to have a TMO or sighting or Hawkeye reviewer um, for a high tackle so basically uh, a high tackle occurs the referee and his ma- and it, their their match officials can't decide if it's a red or yellow card they show an orange card that player leaves the pitch for a period of 15 minutes um, however if it's if it's deemed a red card offence obviously they stay off if it's deemed a yellow card offence or a penalty the player returns after 15 minutes so it's a bit of a strange one really because even if it's only a penalty your team is reduced to 14 players for those 15 minutes so it's quite a severe punishment the idea here being from from world rugby's point of view in relation to COVID 19 is to get the tackle height down as much as possible because that obviously there's a lower kind of transmission risk if someone's tackling down low rather than up high and and those upright tackles are something that they're worried about and that's the whole that's the whole thrust of these temporary optional laws it's to reduce the transmission risk of COVID-19 and and the big transmission risks are obviously the scrum the maul um, and those upright tackles as well as the ruck so everything is really targeted at that they're trying to remove the the choke tackle so there's not going to be a reward of a, a defensive scrum when you when you pull off a choke tackle uh, there's no scrum resets under these law trials um, there's going to be a goal line dropout when an attacker is held up in goal or knocks on in goal. So again, you're avoiding that scrum. Uh, you can't go for a scrum option off a penalty or a free kick. Um, and then around the ruck, they're proposing that the use it call, when a ref calls use it, the duration that you're allowed is three seconds now rather than five seconds. Um, th- that's one of the other the other big ones. And then around the mall. There, there's two specifically around that. One of them is that you can't join a mall if you're not in at the start, which is obviously a big change. And the other one is that there's only one forward movement allowed at a mall. Um, as you as you go forward, if you stop immediately after you play the ball rather than being allowed to, to get going again. So if you took all of them together, it would be a very changed game. However, it's basically up to unions to pick and choose uh there, there are 10 of them in total to pick and choose the ones they feel will help them get back playing post-COVID-19 or they can just completely ignore them which I wouldn't be surprised if, if several unions do but certainly there's loads of interesting little tweaks and points in there and you could definitely end up with a game that looks quite different if you if you went for the whole package Yeah, just in terms of some of the hygiene measures that World Rugby have recommended as well uh, just to briefly run through those 
So mandatory hand and face sanitization, sanitization pre and post match, regular ball sanitization before, during, and after matches. Make of that what you will. Single user water bottles and hydration. Uh, changing of jerseys, shorts, and headgear at halftime where possible. Prevention of huddles and celebrations involving contact. Prevention of spitting and nose clearance, which while it might be uh, more optically pleasing, it's, it's probably a little bit difficult, actually. Um, sometimes you just have to blow your nose, don't you? But uh, for four units, uh, high-risk transmission activities such as eight-person scrum should be undertaken against a machine to limit exposure. Packs should be trained separately. Scrum and mall practice should take place at the end of a training session, preferably a day before a down day to allow 24 to 48 hours before collective training. And high transmission risk training should be avoided within 48 hours of a game. So they're just some of the sort of hygiene measures. But in terms of the rules that Murray has run us through there, Bernard, which again are optional, we will stress once more. Are, are there any of them that sort of tickle your fancy or you find interesting as possibly being worthwhile exploring at the highest level of the game, even when we're not in the midst of a pandemic? I think the the orange card could 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 definitely come into the game um, at the highest level, and obviously, as, as Murray said, it can only can because you need a TMO. But um, I think referees it, it will take the heat off the referees or even deciding officer to make a fast decision on the spot, and um, and also means that I suppose hopefully we don't have any red cards that you know didn't warrant a red card, but also will will really focus the player's mind on. On player safety and getting that tackle height right. I mean, um, you know, the latest stat I read around average points conceded during a, a yellow card, I think it was 7.2 points. So even, you know, an orange card, five minutes more, you know, would that lead to, you know, another 50% or, you know, with extra fatigue, will it be more than that? So, you know, it, will it be 12, 13 points during, a, during an orange card? And, and you know, that's a, a very... Um, strong driver of you know good habits and and discipline. So um, I think that could could come in to stay. And and you know while it's for while it's it's been brought in around COVID, um, you know it's very much aligned to player safety. So um, I think that could be a, a really interesting law and help referees out who do have a um, you know a, a huge amount to look for in, in this game in our game. And um, the stuff around the scrum. I mean, hookers using a break foot to aid scrum stability. I mean, with the you know, with the with the gap being reduced now, um, the hit isn't everything anymore. It's it's your buying the stability. So I think a lot of hookers are using um, their break foot anyway. So I don't see that being um, a massive issue. Um, no scrum option for a penalty or free kick. You know, you see teams with dominant packs, and and, and we see what t- good tight heads um, in particular make. Um, you know, and being able to. I suppose go after teams five yards out and 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 have penalty, or scrum penalty after scrum penalty, um, you know is 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 often a great way of getting momentum and putting a squeeze on teams. That's that's not going to be there if if that's brought in. Um, but also kicking to the corner, um, and the mall the mall rule. You know you have to have forward momentum and only forward momentum once. Um, you know if you commit defensively to to stopping that mall early. And get you know get it uh, get it stopped once, well then they have to play off it. So possibly will lead to more kicks at goal um, and the importance of of goal kickers again being able to convert those those opportunities. Whereas up to now a lot of teams were happy to to kick to the corner and and search for the five or seven points. So 
they're the ones that, that kind of jumped out to me. Um, you know, the choke tackle, effectively, um, it's going to be next to near impossible to have a choke tackle and get a scrum turnover because every choke tackle is a tackle, so you got to release. Um, yeah, so look, at, uh, it'll be very interesting what, 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 what unions pick them up. And I do think it could be more influential in the amateur game um, where maybe there's not going to be, well, obviously it's not going to be as, um, as easy to implement the, the strict protocols around, um, you know, uh, the hygiene, etc. And there's not going to be um, as much focus on that um, early doors or late, not, late, not early doors, late as it develops. Um, it's just going to be so much more harder to, to, to manage um, the, the supervision of that. So um, they may decide to implement it for the, more of these for the amateur game, but for the professional game, try and keep it as close as possible to to what we're used to. Well, Until we well, get a vaccine or whatever. Yeah, one of the more subtle ones, I, I suppose, Gav, that has already been trialled in, in rugby even before COVID-19 is the goal line dropout. The NRC in Australia basically trialled that one where if you're held up in goal, um, it's a it's a dropout rather than a scrum because there's a, there's been a lot of frustration around that, particularly around... Um, at the end of games and how that just kind of finishes the game when you're we're held up and that's the, the the last of it but that might be one that that's adopted i think a lot of people would love to see the use it duration time really strictly refereed as well it is five seconds as things stand anyway it's but but how often do we see that i can only think of one example really i remember johnny lacy it was in a challenge cup match i think bristol maybe where he called use it and five seconds later he gave a scrum to the opposition team which was brilliant to see it was it was almost comical and and all the players really just couldn't believe what had happened but you would like to see that happen a bit more obviously one of the big frustrations for a lot of people watching the game are the 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 kind of snake rocks where it's extended really long so that the box kicking scrum half can be in a really good position without someone on top of them um, and that's an important tactic for a lot of teams and something they work on but it really isn't great to watch and, and a lot of people get frustrated with that so i think if you saw referees maybe being a little a little bit more strict with that duration time and their user calls um it would result in a, in a much quicker game certainly and it wouldn't allow teams to get into those structured kicking positions off rocks which you know it's not supposed to be that structured in in phase play so that's something that maybe um is a good little reminder for for rugby union at the, the very top level but um yeah I, I still would be surprised to see many or any of these really implemented um in the short term at the, at the highest level is the use it one the one that you would personally like to see implemented possibly or at least the existing use it rule just adhered to more rigorously by referees or is there another one that maybe even the goal line dropout that you could see actually benefiting the game as a spectacle or, or for players i think the you know they're both they're both really um good ideas obviously i think the use it one is is more prevalent because there's more occurrences of that in a game, um, and uh, I think it'll actually help the game free up, put pressure on nines to um, to get in and, 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 and kick. Box kickers are going to continue with that quickly. Uh, more chance for the opposition to get down and get a block down, which creates um, a little bit of chaos and, and, and can have some really exciting turnover um, transition attack from that. Plus, you know, it doesn't really give the, the team kicking, you know, the, the chance to get all their defence perfectly organised um and may lead to counter-attacking opportunities and look at um it's it's not it's not rocket science the game is never about having a, a 12 or 13 second rook and building a lovely long 
um, you know, uh, trained to give your nine time and getting your, your kick chase perfectly set up. I mean, that it's just been, it's just allowed to happen really. And, uh, um, you know, we have, re- we hear some referees, you know, tell nines to use it, but yes, the nines don't really react to that and they take two or three seconds. And we have had, you know, occasional occurrences where the really strong referees have just got sick of it and, and, and referee and ping for a scrum, um, turnover, but it, you know, it's been as rare as hen's teeth. So, um, I think that would be great. It would lead to more competition at the breakdown. Um, and I think it would, it would have more fractured defensive lines. Um, and that's what we want, you know, from an attacking point of view, that's what we want. And from, I suppose, from a coaching point of view, is trying to upskill the players to be better defenders with less time. That's kind of nailing the, the point by Bernard there. It's to just implement the laws as they are. Like, I, I would encourage, I'm encouraged by the 50 22. I think that would be a positive change for, for more attacking rugby and more space in the pitch and possibly a more intelligent game. But beyond that, really, the, the tweak, constant tweaking of laws is definitely something that frustrates coaches and just makes the game a little bit more difficult to to get into potentially for fans who aren't uh, fully up to speed with everything. You you can't constantly be tweaking and changing laws and adding new um, new variations on them. So even with the breakdown, you've seen that there was a breakdown like working group com- compiled and and they came together and and eventually their advice was just referee the laws as they are be more strict with them be a bit more clear on what exactly players can and can't do and, and you would hope that that'll result in positive change at the breakdown which is definitely needed it's become so messy the laws as they are should uh, have us having pretty clean breakdowns where there is a, a contest but there's no there's not cheating at every single single rock or breakdown there's not people testing the laws every single time um, and that's really what coaches I think in particular are crying out for is that just go with the laws as they are referee them strictly um, and then the coaches and players obviously have a part to play in that in in actually trying to play to the laws as much as they can um, and will have a, a better cleaner safer game as well yeah I think that's that's massive and um, you know Joe Schmidt was involved in um, the world uh, the world rugby panel to to look at the breakdown a guy called Richie Gray um Who's probably the first breakdown specialist coach, um, and and probably one of the most decorated and well respected in, um, in in the world of coaching was involved in that as well. And um, you know, I think the laws are fine. It's just a case of um, of refereeing and properly. You know, things like side entry has has kind of become a bit of a joke, and um, you know, there's a there's a player safety element of it there. But um, you know, I think definitely the feedback with, to the referees will be: look, you have the tools. Um, we just need to be more consistent in terms of uh, refereeing the rules as they stand and players and coaches then will react to that. There's a question here in the WhatsApp group from Robin Dempsey and members.the42.e if you want to sign up there and join these lovely people. And Robin was asking what's the deal with the orange card, which I think we've addressed. But just to move on from from that uh, specific rule, like... I said at the top of the show, it is one that interests me. The downside, obviously, Murray, you touch upon it as well earlier, is that you could have a situation where um, the verdict is that a challenge was only worthy of a penalty and yet you've lost a player for 15 minutes. But that also does seem somewhat unlikely, doesn't it? Like where a referee would look at an incident and not be able to determine themselves that it's just a penalty. Like I feel as though if it is going to go to that review 
it has to be more than a penalty and it would be unlikely that it would, you know, the people that were looking at it while the game continues will come back with a an assessment of it being just a penalty, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and this is one of those that has been proposed or discussed in the fairly recent past as well. And, and the suggestion at that stage was that the referee decides it's definitely a yellow, player goes off, and then there's that window um, for a, a review to assess whether it's actually a red. Um, so then you don't get the immediate pressure on the referee um, when they're a little bit uncertain, when there's a crowd and, and two teams waiting to get back into play. It, it allows the, the review um, official to actually try and make that decision and be a bit more clear cut with it, get every single angle, be absolutely spot on with it. So I think if it was something that would be carried forward, it would it would be, you know, the yellow card stands no matter what, that's the referee's decision, but it can be upgraded to a red card in that window. And as Bernard mentioned, then you you avoid the, the bad red card decisions um, and you get the ones that should be red cards um, probably right more often it's not going to be perfect there's always that subjective element to it and everyone's going to disagree and some fans won't be happy but yeah I think you'd have the the essentially the yellow card would, would stand and then it could potentially be red after that and Bernard from a coach's point of view obviously you can imagine if you're on the wrong end of one of these decisions or not not necessarily the wrong end as in uh, an injustice is done but one of your players is uh it has a challenge that is reviewed under this system right it winds up being a yellow card is the verdict so you've lost the player for 15 minutes instead of 10 that's a bone of contention but would the point not be really that the yellow card that he receives was actually an orange card i.e a yellow card and a half like it was borderline and therefore it's not quite as unfair yeah i think as a coach um i think you'd prefer this way um, than you know, if you're the if you're the opposition player and a player, um, it turns out a couple of days later, you know, is cited and they they say it should have been a red card and he misses, um, he, you know, he misses two weeks, but it's irrelevant to you. So uh, I think all coaches are uh, willing to. They know, they know they're not going to get every decision right, um, but I think this there's more margin for or sorry, there's less margin for error in, in this decision and. Um, it also will affect the game you're in at that moment. So, um, and that's the most important thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 you know, definitely we, um, I was chatting to a few coaches this morning and uh, we, we talked about it and general consensus was that we would, we would prefer this than the current situation where, you know, there might be three or four minutes um, of a game where the referee is, is running down to look at a big screen. He's talking to his, is TMO, there's pressure from the crowd, the game loses momentum, and they often, oh, sorry, sometimes don't get the right decision anyway. So uh, uh, this might lead to a quicker decision, and you know the TMO in, in the studio, without the pressure of having to make a decision live or very, or very fast, can actually really take its time. And we, we, I think we get more, more good decisions, to be honest. And again, if, if, the, if there's the odd wrong one where you lose a player for, for an extra five minutes, well, you know, you'd have to imagine that it is for a very close... Well, it's already... You'd have to imagine it's going to be a, 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 a foul play, head, head high. It's just the severity of it. So, um, you know, again, it's, 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 it's a dangerous tackle. Um, and, you know, I don't see many occasions where someone's going to get a, an orange card where they haven't made a dangerous tackle. I think it's the... What we'd be arguing about is the legality of whether it should have been red or not. So... I don't think it's a big issue, and, and certainly from the group I was talking to this morning, um, you know, they they didn't have any issue with either. 
Interesting. One last question on those uh, perspective and optional rule changes for now. So, Keen Hyland in the WhatsApp group, he asks, would the corona rules change how players condition from here on out? Um, I'm not sure if you've had a chance even to... to give that any thought Murray in fairness because it's it's very new information obviously but I suppose some of those law changes uh if if they were brought in by a respective union around the mall things like that scrums like is there a chance you players would have to sort of uh, adapt physically condition themselves a little bit differently to the way they would have under more conventional rules well I mean if you adopted all these optional laws then you'd have fewer scrums in a game so you might potentially look at the body composition of some of your forwards and whether you'd lean towards having a couple more back rows in there potentially and I guess that is a a kind of broader concern certainly even before COVID-19 World Rugby was frustrated with the scrum and the amount of time it was taking up in games a lot of resets a lot of scrappy sequences where players are being allowed a lot of time to to kind of regather themselves after a um a, a kind of failed scrum and and that was something they discussed in paris at their last law symposium um just before the the covid19 outbreak so it has been an area of concern for them and you sometimes worry that that area of the game might be um might diminish and, and the importance of it might be um eroded a little bit but i hope it's not because i think it's a, a brilliant contest in the game I think it's brilliant that they're players of all shapes and sizes. I think that adds a huge amount even around the pitch as well. Um, no offence to the props, but they're often the ones that you know the pacey backs are looking for in, in the defensive line. I think it adds that as well as them being the powerful ones in close quarters and, and adding so much to the game in, in that sense as well. Um, Graham Rowntree did a, a kind of coaching sem- a webinar for Munster last night and just his enthusiasm for scrums was very infectious. It was, it was good to see and you would hope that that part of the game isn't eroded and and we do have players of as i said of of different kind of body compositions because yeah if if there were going to be fewer scrums and there were going to be fewer moles etc you might um look at how you could get a, a couple more of those kind of back row or, or midfield players into your team as well and, and i don't think that'd be great if we just had uh 15 versus 15 of essentially the same athletes that would just be a, a bit dull to me a uh, question here from Aina Hegarty, who moves us on to the subject of Pro 14, European Rugby and Interpros, which are slated to take place in August. But this is a broader question from Aina, and he says, For the pod, should the Pro 14 and Champions Cup take a more-is-less approach, like the NFL, maximise interest over a shorter period? So straight knockout at, at Champions Cup level, the Pro 14 Interpro ranking phase, Interpro Cup also up for grabs, he suggests and then the pool systems that is currently used but no cross pool games it might help with player welfare and congestion of club versus country schedules interesting suggestion by Aina there Murray yeah there's there's value in that I think um and certainly with the Pro 14 it's something that I almost expected to happen with the with that competition I remember speaking to Martin and I um the the kind of main man about this and he was saying there was a chance in the future that they could reduce the number of games to increase the I suppose the quality of player and having all the big names available at all times because that is certainly one of the um one of the I suppose lower points or, or the negatives of the Pro 14 is that you often have a, a kind of second choice team or you're missing a lot of those international players because they're um, being managed in terms of their their player welfare so I would support that certainly I think there's probably too much rugby at the moment and um, 
that's across the board really and and it seems like there's always this appetite to add even more and more fixtures more and more competitions um yeah there's definitely going to be a change out of this whole period and the, the whole structure of the game you would hope positively is going to be changed and more aligned certainly but i don't think that necessarily means there needs to be more games um you know you know what's rare is wonderful you don't want a rare rugby game but you want to be really excited about all the fixtures about the top players being involved in that and yeah i i think there's a, a really good point there in in um probably reducing the number of games just to increase the quality of them what do you make of that bernard i <laughs> straight straight knockout champions cup would be absolutely spectacular like a throwback to the european cup days of old in football i'm not sure how feasible that is and and to be fair the pool stages do produce a fair amount of magic but i guess it'd get rid of some of those dead rubbers at the same time down in leon or wherever else where some team has lost interest yeah no, for sure i i, I think I would be far less games and, and more quality. Um, but in the current current status of the game and, and clubs and unions hemorrhaging money, um, I, I find it hard to see that really being the priority at the moment. I think um, they're going to want to get back playing and, and their best way of making revenue is, is to play matches. And we saw already this season was going to be an incredibly long season, obviously due to the World Cup with, you know, with the Pro 14 um was going to have about another month, uh, just less than another month, um, in, before that was completed, and and Viva Premiership and Top Fourteen, etc., going into June as well. So um, while I think it would be a you know a, a worthwhile, and and the less dead rubbers we have, the better. Um, I think the drivers of of a restructured competition, a restructured game, are going to be uh, around revenue and um, player safety. They're going to be the the two big drivers for the moment and um, the player safety element, I think to look at is because of COVID, you know, travel and, and, and games where, um, you know, you have to go cross border um, and try and limit those for a while, but they will need to get the players out in the field uh, playing regularly. And in, in, you know, I know in France, there was a massive push to go top 16 next year. Um, one to be fair to, to the teams in, in Pro D2 who, who are now aren't going to have um, promotion, but also um, to give the club owners, you know, a couple of extra fixtures to to fill up the the stands and to get their post match um, corporate hospitality revenue. So that was vetoed in the end. I mean, they're, they're sticking as a top fourteen, but um, yeah, I think that's going to be a massive issue at the moment. Um, I think in a deal world pre pre COVID, um, you know, when money wasn't money was still there certainly wasn't much money around but um it, it's not as critical as it is at the moment to try and i suppose reboost the, the bank balances um of all the unions so speaking of getting back playing we're looking at august each of the provinces will play two fixtures in dublin it must be very exciting for the players bernard to not only be looking ahead to a return to play but going straight back back in at the deep end where you're playing against rival teams essentially yeah i think it's ideal i mean all teams would would normally have a pre-season and go on go on a little tour somewhere and, and play a game there but um effectively they're going to come straight back into playing international stadium the aviva um against provincial rivalry rivals and, and while look it's hard to see it being full-blooded you know that early in the season i mean it takes i think it takes four or five games for most most teams and players to get into the rhythm um they're just they'll just be desperate to play they've had a couple of false dawns in terms of you know when they can get back as a as a collective um and and train i think 
it's going to be a little bit later in June as it stands at the moment. They've been working really hard um, individually and, and, you know, for those who are lucky enough to, to share uh, with another player, um, they've been able to do it, um, you know, in, in, in groups um, within, within the safety uh, precautions. But, yeah, it's they won't have gone as long without having uh, seen each other and, and being part of a team environment again. And, and uh, um, I, I do think it's a great it's a great set of fixtures to look forward to and hopefully you know kick starts then what will be you know a season without too much interruption if, if if all things go well Murray I'd say once the news was sort of confirmed that this is what the IRFU are, are planning uh, officially you're a happy man were you? <laughs> well I'm still buzzing off the NRL uh, match this morning so <laughs> yeah I'll be I'll be ecstatic if this goes ahead as scheduled and the first weekend the proposal is Munster versus Leinster on the the 22nd and then Connacht Ulster on the 23rd two really nice fixtures to look forward to loads of interesting individual matchups and scores to settle so it'll be hugely exciting I'll be without fans obviously in the stadium and um, it will be a, a kind of different spectacle but I mean we've kind of touched on that there's ways you can get a, around it like not to be a killjoy but it hasn't been given government approval yet on Friday they announced it and you kind of got the sense from everything that Philip Brown the CEO was saying that listen this was their push it was their first push towards getting the government to to agree to, to go with their plans they need to get up and running in terms of the finances as soon as possible as does everyone in rugby and and those COVID-19 um, law trials that we discussed it, that's kind of what that's about as well it's it's finding a way um, to get rugby a, a contact sport up and running in, in a, an era where social distancing seems like it's going to be a reality moving forward so the RFU are painting this very bleak financial picture and saying that within a couple of months they'll probably have to go and borrow that they're burning through their cash reserves and player salaries might have to to tumble as an effect of this which again was something we've discussed but getting that date set out is as philip brown described it's a target it's something for them to work towards if that shifts and they'll have to adjust but they're going to do everything in their power and they've submitted documents to the government detailing the screening programs detailing how they're you know, going to keep the hygiene measures at an you know an all time high level in the Aviva Stadium, um, and how they're going to manage that side of it. They're obviously studying the NRL, Bundesliga, everywhere else. They're looking at those kind of bio bubbles, if whether keeping players uh, away from their families, etc., is an option. So they're absolutely exploring every avenue possible to get the game going again because it has to start somewhere. And uh, two games, obviously, in a in an empty stadium between the provinces aren't going to earn them a huge amount of money the the tv rights would be under the it will be a pro 14 fixtures so it'll be under the the deals as negotiated for last season but once you get those games going then you move on to the next stage where they would hope to have um the the champions cup stages in, in september october finish those out and get into international rugby in october november because even if that is behind closed doors well that's going to make you more money because they're the ones um as we know that that are lucrative that's where you get the tv rights deals that's where you get the big interest and probably more than ever at the moment so really setting those dates um is the kind of start of the rfu's push and and you'll be seeing that everywhere everywhere in professional sport the governments are the ones who make the final decisions that's very clear in this case as well but the rfu have to do everything they can to convince the irish government that that this is is viable and that it can work without being a setback um in terms of the COVID-19 crisis. It's interesting that a Munster-Leinster clash could kick us off 
in that it could kick off and perhaps artificial crowd noise would be a prerequisite given the game is taking place pre-watershed. Like, <laughs> you'd imagine some of the language will be coarse, to say the least, in the middle of the day. Yeah, it, w- it would be it would be fully blooded, definitely. Um, and, I mean, we've had a couple of suggestions about a possible versus probables match we talked about in our members pod there on Monday, um, a, a kind of reader suggestion, but... It kind of is that, and and th- we've spoken to a couple of players about it. Talked to Jordy Murphy about it last week. He said in the pros be an unbelievable way to start it because it's always in your mind. I know Joe Schmidt used to always talk about it. He he felt maybe your average Pro 14 fixture wasn't a good place to judge a player, but when they go up against their international, their Ireland rival, head to head or or team to team, well, that's a really good place to judge them because the the guys who are are going to step up at test level will step up to that challenge too. So, yeah, that would be a lot of fun, Gavin. Not that far away if they can get it. Um, if they can get it across the line. <laughs> uh, with the, like you mentioned, Bernard, that you wouldn't expect it to necessarily be full-blooded, um, and I guess the challenge in a sport like rugby, where uh, physicality is so prevalent, is that like you're still going into a game which might have the feel of a preseason game, but as Murray says, you could be playing against opposite numbers, and it might be your first sort of piece of competitive action. In, in literal months at that point um, there'll be a, a huge onus on on people working in SNC and all of those sort of areas at the provinces to have players right like they'll actually be under more pressure than they generally would be you'd imagine yeah no sorry when I meant full-blooded obviously I think the players will um, mentally attitude-wise physically you know tear into each other um, it's just teams won't be at the uh, they're they're more more uh, most cohesive or or level best. I think you know it'll take them a little while, um, and also, you know, you would imagine or, or I I would like to, I would believe that some of the there'll be some restrictions on on what they can do in training as well. So um, mm-hmm. it's hard to get that live um, element that generally you know contact sport uh, athletes need. So. But look, it, it will be it'll be great. I mean, I, I, I'll be um, avidly interested in it, and I think the players will too. And I think it'll be a great contest. But um, maybe the quality won't be as good. Even that NRL game this morning, they haven't had as, nearly as long off. Um, you know, uh, there was there were some brilliant bits, but there was you could see they were a little bit rusty. So um, that was that's what I what I meant. But yeah, I think the the SNC coaches are all going to. This is unusual territory for them most. Most players, when they come back in, in preseason, um, have come off a, a five week break. But for three of those weeks, they will three of those weeks they'll be active. Um, so you're not really losing much. You're not deconditioning, um, and you know obviously they haven't deconditioned in, in this in this period. But they will have been away from um, competitive contact training, change of direction, all that stuff for a lot longer than they normally would have been. And I've seen some stats and. Um, around you know the last time there's been an nfl lockout um there's been nba strikes um there's been a huge increase in in long-term injuries on the back of that so and look at that's that's great i mean rugby can learn from um from similar situations in terms of uh, a decrease in activity and hopefully you know prevent that but yeah it's going to be it's going to be a real tough ask for for the heads of medical the heads of performance to prepare the players um, in a, in a, and again, what's going to be restricted probably uh, protocols, but to be ready to go and play. But that's you know that's fascinating, and I'm sure they're going to love that and learn from it. So um, yeah, it's just an ele- another element to 
to think about uh, in terms of you know hopefully getting it right and not not suffering any injuries that you know that that's outside what we normally suffer in 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 in, uh, in what's a contact game. Yeah, so well, the coaches will be looking forward to Murray just as much as the players. You'd imagine at the backs of their mind of their minds they are thinking of some of those injury risks where like, okay, these are going to be important games within the context of getting people back on the field, getting rugby back on TV for the RFU, financially speaking, and all of that. But there's a probably greater importance placed on next season at this stage in the sense that there's always going to be something like an asterisk next to this one. You don't want to be losing a, a Joey Carberry or a Johnny Sexton or whoever to an injury in a in a behind-closed-doors game at the same time. And I suppose given the, the stats that Bernard has outlined and some of the stats historically in sports where there are players are returning from a, a longer period out, there is an increased chance of that. Yeah, you absolutely aren't going to take any risks with that heightened risk anyway of, of injuries after these breaks. It's been interesting talking to the S&C coaches over the last while and they're all... Um, they're all going to push for longer to prepare the players. You know, you know, ten week season, ten week preseason rather, or even longer than that is ideal. But you're going to be really short on time, um, on this occasion. So it is an interesting challenge, definitely. But I think the players really appreciate and understand the need to get back as well. There are certainly going to be individuals who are, who have some trepidation maybe about going back, and people with family members who have underlying illnesses you would imagine are, are going to have a tricky time getting their head around it but for the large part from what I can sense is that players really understand how precarious a position the professional sport is in and the need for things to get back going again because if this continues on into next year say potentially then the game just isn't going to be there as a professional sport the, the finances aren't there to to survive and cope that long so there is a an understanding that their job's are, are dependent on them being back out on the pitch and, and you're going to see that and and that is an interesting side of it the, the financial side of it and and as I said Philip Brown was really he was really underlining and stressing that and, and getting his message out there that there's going to be severe market adjustments within professional rugby around the world and um, now if CBC keep pumping money in that'll obviously offset that a little bit and and their investment in the Pro 14 obviously is is maybe well timed in that regard and um, even though the deal didn't really change and, and it was already there pre-COVID-19 but you know players are probably concerned about that side of things and their earnings potentially tailing off the longer the the game is is out of action obviously a lot of people uh, in the game have taken pay cuts throughout this period and and the RFU are still on the pay deferral scheme but they've mentioned a couple of times that you know the longer it goes on then the more likely they will have to be to make to make cuts so I think there's definitely that risk of injury and, and that's going to be in players' minds as well. But first and foremost, I think a lot of them just want to get those fixtures set in stone and, and get their job back really in, in terms of playing games. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure as always. Murray, thanks a mil. Thanks a mil. I'm going to tune in to see the rest of that NRL game that I missed now. But uh, thanks a mil, Gaff. Oh, Jesus. Sorry for disturbing you. Bernard, Bernard thanks, thanks a million. <laughs> no worries, lads. Thank you. Cheers, and thanks to everybody for listening at home as well. Thank you to the 42 members for your questions. Members.the42.ie, it's €5 a month, or €42 for the year. We will be back, or Murray will be back at least on Monday with a members podcast, and myself and Murray will be back then next Thursday for a regular podcast. Uh, So until either of those two days, mind yourselves in the meantime, take it easy. I don't think we've met before. But I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs>
Robbie, Robbie, weekly.